Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. dramatic beginning to Filmically Perfect for a very dramatic movie indeed. This is Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. I'm Nikki Dakota, your host, joined in the studio live and in person today by the storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers and friend to all the big stars, also friend to the Miami Valley. We call him Jay Todd. Jay Todd, welcome. Hello, Nikki Dakota. Thanks for being here today. Also via the phone line from beautiful, sunny Culpeper, Virginia. It is the Nitrate Film Archivist to the Library of Congress and also our friend George Willeman. George, welcome. The films are mine. They will always be mine. <laughs> For the glory of France. For the glory of me. <laughs> Viva la George. Oui, oui. Oui, oui. <laughs> Filmically perfect. We are doing a French film today. <laughs> we, um, uh, I have to say, first of all, um, this film, 1964's no, The Train. Yes, that's correct. Is that right? Is that, that right, is George? Right. Yes. On the on the date there, a film called The Train, and um, just out of uh, complete uh, candidness here, I would have dismissed this film out of hand. I'm not interested in black and white war movies. Just do not interest me. Although that's not true. I found this to be a fantastic this more, watch. This is more than a war movie. This is this is a movie about art for art's sake. Don't you think, George? Yes, and it's a movie about trains for trains. Oh man, if you, if you like trains, this is the movie for you. There's nothing but runaway locomotives all the way up and down this one station that they used in this picture. As it's masqueraded, of course, for four or five different stations, as we'll tell you about later. But nothing but seamless action and steam and and rivets flying and art. After watching art. this film, I almost feel that I could possibly operate a steam train. I mean, you really get the bird's eye well, view, that, hands on. The beauty, that's one of the beauties of it is that, that, that Frankenheimer got really interested in the mechanics of the steam engines and the things that make them go because at the time this came out, in the United States anyways, the, the steam engine was pretty much a memory. They were gone. Yeah. And there was a lot of nostalgia for, for the, the sort of the living living iron monsters that used to roam the rail. There's a real beautiful little piece in this movie. I mean, all of a sudden you see a little bit of history encapsulated in there where he makes a piece. He, he pours the molten uh, cast iron. Yeah, and he cast, yeah. makes that piece and they the hone it down. And they put it on the uh, on the boiler of this Yeah, you see him and he really does it. The, the, the star, Burt Lancaster, Burt Lancaster, he really does it. He pours the part to fix the engine. Hey, Burt. but before we get too far down the road, we have to say that this is not some uh, just thought of it last night, fly-by-night operation that uh, qualifies uh, movies just on a whim. There are very stringent and strict rules to which these movies w- oh, must yes, adhere. Yes, Hey, this movie, The Train, creates the world it exists in because... Because it does. Yes, because it does. <laughs> and, it, and it wholly sustains that world. There you are. I was wondering where you are. And regardless of changes in society, The Train retains its meaning and entertainment value. And it is never placed in any kind of preferential or numerical order 
like those other stinky lists. This <laughs> film is perfect by its own scale. There's other diesel engine yeah, that- movie <laughs> lists, but diesel trains are you know, boring. You know, and here's and and the fact that it is about art and trains. Art and, and, and trains. Who would have thought that this amazing confluence really, really goes well yeah, together? Yeah, we're gonna deviate. Usually, we're like insurance and murder, <laughs> uh, but today we're doing art and trains. <laughs> and originally, I would have thought that this would not be a movie for children um, because you know it's about war and there's uh, there's some uh, not gratuitous, but. Uh, uh, acts of violence there and uh, is. but the Nazi gets it in the end and that's why we oh, always require in perfect movies <laughs> but I'm telling you just for the sheer mechanical um, workings of, of of working these trains I think that my son would be absolutely riveted I watched it after they were in bed just to be safe but I think I'm going to let him see it uh, George Williman could you give us a quick overview of uh, of the action in this film certainly um, the story basically and it is based on a on a true story although the, the movie version is, is a lot more exciting than the, the actual version of the story. Um, back during the, at the very end of the, of the Second World War, and this takes place after D-Day. No, wait a minute. This is really a true story? Yes. This is 1944. 1,511 days of occupation. Right. It's, it's based on a book by the curator of a, the museum in Paris that had all these paintings. And, uh, and the story that she tells is how the, the, the French, the French underground and the, and the French uh, art world sort of conspired to keep the paintings from leaving France because as the movie starts, like I said, it's after, it's after D-Day, the, uh, the Nazis are in really bad shape, the, the Allies are approaching Paris, and this colonel played by Paul Schofield, and this is actually one of the few films he's in, he's mostly a, a Shakespearean actor, um, he makes a darn good Nazi, though. Yeah, probably best known, uh, the most recent thing he was in, I think, was the movie Quiz Show, where he played Ray Fine's father. Um, but he has a plan for taking the paintings out of France and taking them back to Berlin to store them and to use them to make money for the Reich, or so he says. Um, and the, the curator, the woman who is the curator of the museum, is just horrified by this idea because all through the war he has protected these, the colonel has protected these paintings because ordinarily they would have been destroyed as deviant art by the, as, you know, as far as the Nazis were concerned because uh-huh. they're all impressionists and expressionists, people like Picasso and... There's 64 Picasso's Picasso and, and Renoir and, and that kind of thing. And of course that art was all deviant art. You know, talk about pot calling the kettle black, you know, the Nazis calling someone else deviant. Anyways, uh, the, the um, curator of the museum calls together this group of underground um, agents, basically, one of whom is Burt Lancaster. And as we'll hear in this little, uh, this first little sound clip we have, uh, they're discussing the sort of the merits of, you know, is this art worth protecting and keeping from uh, being taken out of the country, why or why not? This morning we had four men left in this group. Now we are three. One, two, three. Bernard? We started with 18. Like your paintings, mademoiselle, we couldn't replace them. For certain things we take the risk. But I won't waste lives on paintings. But they wouldn't be wasted. Look, excuse me. I know that's a terrible thing to say. But those paintings are part of France. The Germans want to take them away. 
They've taken our land, our food. They live in our houses. And now they're trying to take our art. This beauty, this vision of life born out of France. Our special vision, our trust. We hold it in trust, don't you see, for everyone. This is our pride, what we create and hold for the world. There are worse things to risk your life for than that. I'm sorry, mademoiselle, we can't help you. Hey, the key word is there, uh, they wouldn't be wasted their lives. Hey, yeah. there's a contingency for the whole picture right there. You know, because Life now they're, they're saying art. that art is, is their trust. Very key right. element in the movie. Well, anyways, they don't really sell Burt Lancaster's character, whose name is Labiche, by the way. Uh, they don't sell him on this, and he goes ahead and he assigns an, an engineer to, to pull the art train as they are loading it up with the crates full of artwork. And the man he gets is an, an older, uh, much-beloved engineer named Papa Boulle, who is played by uh, this great French actor, Michel Simon, who goes way back into the early 30s. Incredible uh, face on this man. Yeah. Just the dynamic <laughs> expressions on this man's face. And he's real, real hard-bitten and gruff, and, and he takes off with the train, and actually he takes a train out of the yard during an air raid, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but something happens to the train. the train. The train overheats, and they have to take it back to the station. And it turns out that the... Uh, the uh, Nazi who's in charge of the railroad yard discovers that Papa has sabotaged the train by putting uh, franc coins in the uh, in the oilers, causing the uh, the bearings to burn out. So they realize something's afoot. There's a right, and Labiche tries to protect Papa and you know tell him he's an old man. He didn't know what he was doing, uh, but the Nazis kill Papa right there and on the spot. That is sort of the moment where the whole movie turns. Now, that movie, that that part right there is where I always like to say it gets better. <laughs> because all of a sudden, the anti-hero, this man, Papa Bull, gives his life. He's very sarcastic about everything that's going on, but you see that his heart is touched by this artwork. And now he's willing to be the sacrificial uh, substitute for this artwork in this movie. And that... You, here's a, an interesting aspect of this whole little scene that George is talking about here is that it's very much like Angels in a Dirty with Dirty Faces where Cagney is going to the chair. You don't know whether he's lashing out at Burt Lancaster to save his life or, ask, or, or whether he actually is upset with Burt Lancaster for selling out to the Nazis. But regardless but of he this, flares up. He flares up, and, you, and they got this beautiful close-up that just works just so wonderfully because – he says about a hundred things with his eyes in this close-up, don't you think, George? Mm-hmm. And and in that little scene, the whole the whole movie is set. You see how important this artwork is to this old man, and he he's the sacrificial substitute right here. Right, and also, and this would be more for a French audience than for an American audience. The choice of Michel Simon for that part was perfect because he was uh, was an absolute icon of the French cinema. Uh, like I said, going way back into the '30s, so. Having him as this character, this representative character who is sacrificed to the to the French audiences would be ex- even more powerful than to uh, 
American audiences then or now. There's no way you can really watch this movie and not be affected by that scene. If you're a pretty cold person, if you if you're watching this movie and you see this and you think, oh my goodness, this guy, he's, you don't, he's a sacrificial substitute. You don't need you know? the Cosmo personality test. You can watch this movie, and if in that moment you're not, I don't removed. think this movie would have, could have possibly survived to the success that it has today. Where I've made our list, of course. <laughs> if that person was not acting in this one little piece there's a lot of great stuff in this movie but this little piece of cinema history is just really dynamic we're talking about the train the 1964 movie starring burt latincaster on filmically perfect on 91.3 wyso and so with uh with uh this uh the the old crusty engineer sacrificing himself and that turning the heart of our protagonist to uh, become then involved in this amazingly detailed uh, plot to save this artwork really sets the movie on this incredible chain of instances that each one really outdoes the next. Right. They, um, the, the underground and the locals and the train men and, and everyone get together and have this incredible plan where uh, Burt Lancaster is sort of somewhat forced into engineering, you know, driving the train. And they start, they start out again. With the, the with the art in tow. Right, with the art. They start out, and, and Lancaster himself has to cast the new bearings to replace the ones burned up by Papa's little trick. And they head out, and they basically they, they misroute the train, knowing that they, the French train people know the routes better than the Germans. They know the countryside. They sort of they trick the Germans... By Which is always easy to do in movies. <laughs> yeah, those Germans. They trick the Germans. I'm sorry. I don't mean they trick the Germans. They trick the Nazis. Nazis. The right. Nazis always the fall the for Nazis. the same gags. They do. They change the they, signs they on them. You know, the always the, the same gag. <laughs> but it's, it's basically put the train in a big loop and send it back to its original station. But at, at each plot, they've they've had these all these advanced this network of people that literally right. replace every sign, and it just even the way it's revealed, it's so beautifully done in this movie. It just really is compelling. So they 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 route it back. They route it back, and and by the time they get back, something else has happened. The station manager and one of the other under, other engineers has derailed an old uh, switcher engine in the yard. So and 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 the the train pulling the art train has gotten disconnected from the box car. Of course. And then there's a third train waiting on a sideline. So the first train comes roaring into the station, a full blast hits the derailed train. They both basically explode. Yes, we are talking about a real train accident here, folks. Yeah. No digital work here. These are real locomotives that they're blowing up. That's right. right and in the train, the train that runs into the derailed train was supposedly going over sixty miles an hour when it hit, it's... and they had many cameras running to capture this this uh, accident. And actually, the trains hit so hard that they crushed several of the cameras. Oh, I thought you were going to say cameramen. Well, no, good, no, they, good. the cameras were probably put on automatic. And um, so then the, the boxcars bump into the wrecked trains, and they don't get hurt. But then the second train comes up off the sideline and crashes into the caboose of the last, uh, the last car. And e- effectively sandwiching it in. Sandwiching it in. So, so now the, uh, the colonel, the German colonel, is just he's beside himself because there's no way they can get it out. They've got to get a crane in. It's going to delay them more and more. And, of course, this whole thing is a plot because they've been told that the Allies – are coming. They're coming. And they're going to paint the trains so they won't... Now, they've changed all their minds, and then now they say, as they said earlier in the picture, they say, 
this art is worth commerce. Right. Now, and books well, are no good. They can burn all the books they want, but the art is worth, you know, a lot of money to the Nazis. Right. So and they decided our, our, if you one, to our, our second little sound bite here, uh, this is where they, the same people that he's talked to earlier are telling Burt Lancaster how important it is to save the train. And, of course, he's getting totally fed up because things aren't working right and people, people are dying killed. from yeah. art. And so here's that piece. London wants the train saved. What do they want us to do? Stop it with our bare hands? Lay down across the tracks? Right after dawn, all switching tracks and trains in the area will be bombed. The art train is not to be destroyed. Orders are to mark it so that the planes will pass it up. Mark it? White paint on the top of the first three cars. London has decided the paintings must not be damaged. Save it? Of all time? Make them a present? To hell with London. We started this whole thing for one reason. To stop the train. Because the Allies were going to be here. Well, where are they? Every day they've been due. And every day a man has been killed for thinking they were just over the next hill. I say to hell with it. Now they want us to paint the train? Let them blow it up! And that, of course, is Burt Lancaster gesticulating with his hands and fingers yeah. and moving like, like a cat, like he always does on the balls of his feet. <laughs> I mean, you can't beat Burt Lancaster. This is one of the greatest actors that ever lived. Classic stuff. It really is. And, and I'll say again before we uh, continue uh, with the plot that the, the action of the workings of these trains is absolutely fascinating it, because they're really doing it. Y you know, not only by the end of this movie could uh, Burt Lancaster cast a mold and repair the engine, but you can see that he could drive it. Everything from shoveling in to the, you know, the, the workings of uh, the, the relations of the gears and all the steam, it was amazing. Oh, just fascinating. Some interesting stuff in this movie. Um, you're going to see zoom lenses being used for one of the... I'm sure that they were done before, but there's an extensive use of zoom lenses in this picture as they, they say, you know, the bombs are going to drop at 10 o'clock and they do this really beautiful exposition of cinema and then they zoom in on the watch just as the bombs break. Uh, yep. And they got these marvelous zoom-ins on the tracks changing as it... You know, because usually you have to dolly in, which is means a lot of equipment. It's very hard to do that. And, and a lot of cinema people prefer it because Zooms are cheap. But they're not interested in this movie. They're here to, to tell a story. And it's right. it's very it's done very well. And as we'll, we'll speak to in a moment when we talk more about the director, uh, that comes out of his history as a, as a television director. But uh, to, let, let's, to wrap up the story really <laughs> quickly here, um, now that they, they do, they, they go out and they paint the tops of the first three cars, and unfortunately, they get caught. They, they well, they create this uh, almost un they, yeah, unbelievable this distraction, and then and then unfortunately get caught. Get caught. More people get killed. The <laughs> colonel wants the white paint scraped off the trains because he thinks something funny is going on. And then these uh, funny, these, ha ha. Those are yeah, Nazis, these, of uh, allies. The allies show up in their planes and. They fear there's going to be an air raid and the train's going to be destroyed, but they leave the train alone. And they make several passes and don't yep. shoot, and no one can understand why. These are that, but the Douglas A-26, Douglas A-26 uh, invaders. Here. Right. You, you would know that, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the colonel knows, realizes that's what this means, that the white paint, you know, they, that the Allies want to save the train, too. They're, excuse me, they're not going to shoot at it. So he says, this is my chance. I can get these to Berlin. We don't even have to wait until nightfall to get out of here because they're not going to shoot at the train. So they get another, they get one more train. You know, they clear the tracks. They get another train. The train takes off again. 
And this time they're keeping an eye out for Labiche because they know he's up to no good and he's going to do anything he can to stop them. And he does. He immediately blows up one of the tracks, causing the train to slightly derail. They have to stop and fix it again. And, and they show the, all this, too. Yeah, Right. Yeah. And the Nazis have got one more card in their hand. They have taken, because the European trains are slightly different than American ones, and they have like a catwalk railing all the way around the boiler, they get all these locals, all these local farmers, and they put them on the train to act as, as shielding for the train. Yeah, human shields. If they shields. blow up the train, they're going to kill all these people. So all these people are on the train. So Labiche sees this. He knows he can't use any more explosives, so he goes down the tracks about a mile, and he, too, has been hurt now. He's gotten shot in the leg, so he's limping around. And um, he takes, out of a tool shed, he takes a large, basically, screwdriver, because, again, unlike the American railroads, the, the braces on the European railroads, or at least in France, are screwed into place rather than pounded in. He unscrews the braces on the railroad tracks, so when the train comes along, it's going to derail again. And it does. And it does. And in that part, by the way, I, I stopped and, and played it over and over. It's a real derailing of a mm. real train. And it's just, it's this powerful, you know, iron and, 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 and physics. And it is absolutely compelling. Yep. Yeah. Well, now everyone, you know, the colonel again wants to get, you know, get the train back on the track. And, and everyone's trying to tell him, look, we've lost. They've got us. We can't move the train. We can't get the crane out here to get it. We can't do anything. Let's cut our losses and get out of here because the Allies are coming. You can hear their guns in the distance. And basically the colonel is abandoned. His men leave them. I mean, even men who are under him in rank sort of cast him aside. Leave him with his precious art right, train. Right, and, and, the tr- and the artwork is all off the train. It's laying in its crates on the siding. And it basically ends up with him and Labiche, the colonel and Labiche, having their big face off at the end. And this last uh, soundbite here is, I think, one of the absolute best, best bits of dialogue in the entire movie where Colonel, the colonel tells Labiche why the paintings are important to him and why he's basically, uh, why Labiche is a slob. <laughs> Labiche. Here's your prize, Labiche. Some of the greatest paintings in the world. Does it please you, Labiche? You feel a sense of excitement in just being near them? A painting means as much to you as a string of pearls to an ape. You won by sheer luck. You stopped me without knowing what you were doing or why. You are nothing, Labiche. A lump of flesh. The paintings are mine. They always will be. Beauty belongs to the man who can appreciate it. They will always belong to me or to a man like me. Now, this minute, you couldn't tell me why you did what you did. I think that's an official spoiler. No gunshots in there. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> guess who gets it? Guess who it, gets folks. it? Yeah, just about right there. Well, I, I, yeah, I didn't put it in there, but but basically Lancaster's answer to the colonel is a hail of gunfire. Yeah, it was just the two of them. It's very, very um, uh, intense. 
So that is uh, that is the basic action in uh, this perfect movie. We call it The Train, 1964's black and white uh, classic starring Burt Lancaster. And uh, interesting that they did black and white, J. Todd, because 1964, they certainly could have shot this film in color. This is one of the last ones. This is yeah, it's often considered the, the last black and white deal. Yeah, it's often considered the last great black and white action film. It was and, it's and somewhat a French production too, so yeah. they, their budgets are a lot lower than the United States. But they have one of the greatest stars of all time, who was was the producer on this picture too, who was Burt he, Lancaster. Yeah, he had a lot. Of, Lancaster is an interesting actor from many aspects. I mean, not only being you know a great actor and a very handsome and, and very unusual, you know, a very wonderful visage and those great. Teeth, those humongous teeth, you know, and uh, but it, all his enunciation is just superb, yeah. and but, you never miss a word that he's saying because he's just one of those actors. Every time he talks, you can't help but to look at him. He but who also so is just as comfortable in comedy or drama or a western or whatever you put him in. He just handles it. Interestingly, I thought initially when I just first was diving into this movie that uh, that rule one wasn't going to be sustained because I thought, well, why in the world isn't he speaking with a French accent? Why? And of course, that is true that he should have been, I suppose, yeah, or speaking French. Slows actually, down audiences. But you know? exactly, and not only that, just right away, the 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 convin- uh, the character is so real that you just immediately grant it and move on. It's it's, <clears throat> it's not an issue at all. And a lot of a lot of this not only is does do kudos go to Lancaster, but also of course to uh, a good friend of his who was the director John Frankenheimer, uh, who was not the original director. The original director was Arthur Penn, uh, the director of Bonnie and Clyde, who started out on this film, filmed one day, and then ended up getting fired because Lancaster didn't like the way he was taking the story. That shows you who's in the, in control. Of yeah. Wow. Uh, Penn's story was much more introspective, much more uh, on the art aspect of the story and the, the, the art for life and life for art, whereas Lancaster wanted to be more action-oriented and more about the... Well, Frankenheimer, about was, Frankenheimer was an action director. Some of his more famous movies are the action movies like Grand Prix, and he also has one of our perfect movies on the list, uh, The Manchurian Candidate, Candidate, the original. Ooh, I can't wait to do that That one's a really good movie. And uh, Now, also, you'll notice that the music in this movie is done by a very, very amazing to use it, uh, the word lightly, Maurice yeah. <laughs> Girard, and he has exactly on the IMDb about 153 movies to his credit as <laughs> as a or, orchestra, a right. guy who's probably, done all the scores. Probably best known for uh, the score to Dr. Zhivago. Yeah, Dr. Zhivago, and also in Grand actually, Prix, he's very famous for that movie Oh, did he do too. Grand Prix also? He sure okay. did. That, the score for Zhivago was despised, but but how many music boxes have you seen that have Lara's theme on? Oh, sure. Right. Sure. And his music works very beautifully in this. It's very, very powerful. Gentlemen, we are quick running out of time, and this is a testament to the depth of this movie. I have to say, I just fully concur with your assessment. And I, and again, would not have watched this if I were just channel surfing and saw it coming out. I thought, oh no, another black and white war movie. It was just um, an amazing, riveting ride throughout. And uh, let's just talk quickly about uh, sustaining, uh, the, working with the rules. Number one, created it, hey, I'll say. It makes its own little world. In fact, as I said before, uh, they use one train station. <laughs> right. But due to their budgetary constraints, they only had one train station. And I think a lot of the money Holy went sustains into that, that world. Rack. We all know that. And then regardless of the changes, they're going to be watching this movie because it's bet. a very good period piece of what happened during it's that time. 40 plus years, and yes, it sir. still is compelling. And hey, uh, any, any film that stomps the Nazis flat got my vote first. <laughs>
long laughing. <laughs> We've been talking about the train, 1964's. Uh, just, I just want to call it a classic because I really do believe Rule Three will will it will bear its weight uh, as long as there are movies being shown. This will be among uh, the finest. It's filmically perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Hey, check us out online. It's perfectmovie.net. You can get us on uh, podcasting at iTunes. You can find us at npr.org or right here on uh, wyso.org. Gentlemen, we are just out of time. Jay Todd Anderson, thank you. Always my pleasure, Nikki Dakota. George Williman, next time around. <laughs> Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.